Welcome to Co-Pilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving you that second chance might just change your mind. Here we take that chance for you, and let you know our opinion on if a show is worth more than just one shot. I'm Justice, alongside me is my co-pilot Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be... Ruby, Ice Queendom. Based on the subtitle, I'm gonna guess this is a sequel to something. It's a spinoff, a retelling, a canon-adjacent side story. Wild. I didn't know that it wasn't a sequel because I'm a massive fan of, well, I was, was. a mass, massive fan of the original animated web series called Ruby. That's R-W-B-Y. Yes, a online web series produced by Rooster Teeth. And created by the one and only Monty Ohm. Late Monty Ohm, unfortunately, yes. He made some very famous internet stuff in the early days, Haloid being one. Dead Fantasy, I believe, is the other one. And then also one of the head animators for later seasons of RVB. Especially their fight scenes, which he was known for. Indeed. And Ruby also became known for its fight scenes very quickly. Yes, yes it did. But this is an anime adaptation of a Western take on anime. So this show is produced by Studio Shaft, which if you know anime, you might recognize the name. I don't recognize the name. You might recognize the name of some of the shows they've done at the very least. They have worked on the entirety of the Monogatari series. I recognize that. Monogatari, Monogatari, Nisa Monogatari. I've never seen it, but I I recognize the name. Nisai Koi. Don't know what that is. It's a show. Some people like it. I, I have no interest in watching it. I imagine it's a show. It was made by an anime company. Arakawa Under the Bridge, which is a weird show, but a fun show. Perhaps you recognize the Necron though? Puella Magi Madoka Magica? Oh, that was good. Madoka is yeah. yeah. great. And then they've also worked on Sangatsu no Lion. Um, March Comes In Like a Lion. I, it's on my list of stuff to watch. It's about a Shogi Master who is depressed and young but and Ru- depressed. Ruby Eyes Queendom started just a couple months ago on July 2nd, 2022. And if you want to watch it, you can find it on Crunchyroll and I would guess Funimation. Guessing Funimation. No, you can find it on Crunchyroll and I do believe Rooster Teeth first. Mm, that makes sense too. Yes. If you want to find it on an actual anime site that's not Crunchyroll, you need to be in an Asiatic country. Or... In which case, I believe you can find it on any plus. Or you can use our sponsor... ExpressVPN, who are, who is not sponsoring us. Yeah, no, why, why would anyone sponsor us? I wouldn't sponsor us. You could use a VPN and set your location. But yeah. anyways, but, uh, you, Crunchyroll. But you won't get the subbed version then, so. Better be up on your foreign languages. Yes. The first episode is entitled Red, White, Black, Yellow, Black and Yellow, Black and Yellow, Black and Yellow. It does not repeat Black and Yellow that many times. In case you're wondering, that is an idiosyncrasy of my co-host. <laughs> I wouldn't call it an idiosyncrasy. I can I can do that without saying black and yellow repeatedly. Red, white, black, yellow. That's the name of the episode. There you go. So you say that, but what I'm about to tell you is going to get cut. I'm going to just go and copy your black and yellow and put it back there. Why would comedy. you do that? <laughs> okay, so comedy. this first episode starts out very similar to the, the original Ruby, the web series. Yes, with just world setting. And we're given an opening dialogue by a character who won't be introduced for probably 
a season or two based on there. Honestly, I don't even know who would be introduced in this. The, like, I, I don't know necessarily from what I've heard about the show. Well, it's a monologue by the primary antagonist to the main series, yeah. whose name is Salem. And it's a history lesson on the world while mm-hmm. also simultaneously denigrating what hunters are. Yeah, it, it sounds fairly condescending. Maybe not so much in this the, the version, s- but the in the... Sub on, the subtitles do not sound condescending. But, like, the tone of voice does. Men born from dust built big kingdoms. Then an evil creature called Grimm rose up, destroyed the civilizations. Started to kill a bunch of people. And when their back was to the wall, they discovered a weapon to fight back. Men were spread out across the world. They were cornered. They were almost going extinct. And then they discovered what they call dust. The same thing that they're from is now their biggest weapon. It Um, allows them to fight back with basically magical powers. They can manipulate elements equivocally by using these shards of rock. Elements like gravity and stop and speed hey 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 according to the world of ruby the basic elements of dust are like fire ice i think lightning and air and gravity nope that's not one of the basic ones there's four basic ones <laughs> there is gravity dust that's a canon fact the yes yes sp- there is yeah anyways we then cut to a young girl in a red riding hood cape because if you don't know anything about ruby all of the primary characters are based off of some type of story or lore um our main characters are a girl named Ruby, who is based off of Red Riding Hood. Her name is Ruby Rose. A girl named Yang. Yang Xiaolong. I don't remember what she's based off of. I think her main... Oh, Goldilocks, yeah, that's and right. And her name means something like gold, little gold yeah. dragon, little sunny dragon, something like that. Yang is based off of Goldilocks. Then we have Weiss Schnee. White Snow. I wonder what that could be. Snow White is the character she's based off of. And lastly, we have Blake Belladonna, who is based off of Beauty from Beauty and the Beast. And she is also the Beast, because she's part animal. Well, Adam's technically the Beast. Yes, but but she's also been described, according to the creators, to represent both the Beauty and the Beast at the same time, but also only the Beauty, because Adam is also the Beast. Because they retconned it and made them... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what's nice, though? The fact that... Eh, spoilers for later in this review. The fact that the Snow White character and the character whose name can also be flipped to be equivocally rose red as partners because there's the grim story snow white and rose red i have no idea what you're talking about but i'll believe you yeah so we cut to ruby and she's at her mother's grave telling her mom telling her mom she's talking to a gravestone about how her older sister yang has been accepted into beacon the number one hunter school in the world yeah and that she's really really proud of her sister but she's also sad because yang's not gonna be around anymore yeah but then yang shows up and we, we cut to something else. And that something else is... Oh, I was supposed to be the one that did this part? Whatever, I can't let you carry an episode for once. Okay, but something else is Weiss. We cut yes. to Weiss. I do want to interrupt this here. So far, the anime has been beautiful. Like, the animation's very str- solid yeah. here. The only weak point through all of this was a brief moment in the very intro when it, in a different art style that's supposed to be, I would argue, more watercolor-esque. A man falls down, and then when he rolls over to get up, it feels like there's a slight, like, one or two in-between frames missing. Well, the intro is supposed to be done in, like, I don't want to say, like, cave paintings, but, like... Yeah, it's, like, a, a basic water painting used to tell the story. Like... Yeah. Yeah. I was saying it looks weird there, because a lot of, more of it looks fluid, and then it's a very odd position change, but it's not even that bad. So then we cut to Weiss. Weiss is... Standing in the courtyard of a large manor. And she's the heiress to a large, for, a large company. 
her father is she's rich that's what i'm trying to get at she's rich and so she has a butler who is waiting to take her to a test yes he is gathering her to take her to a test he's making sure she's okay and so she assures him and they're walking to go do the test and she comes across her brother named whitley before she comes across her brother she sees her mother out in the courtyard and she's already got a empty bottle of wine and another glass full and she makes a comment about how her mother's drinking already and it's early in the morning i honestly forgot about that yeah it's just they go ahead and tell us throw away to let us know that willow's knee is an alcoholic yeah she's a lush then yeah we whitley she comes across her brother whitley who is basically just like man this test is gonna be super hard it's definitely gonna be way too hard for you blah 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 and she's just like shut up i'm gonna go do this test i'm i'm good at this fuck off basically yeah he has the most anime energy out of every character in this show honestly he looks like the smarmy dick that you're finding like any otome game any like viznov where you're pursuing min equivocally so then this leads to the test, which is that Weiss has to fight a giant armored suit. Can I describe the room she walks into? You mean the Pokemon Coliseum? The Schnee personal Pokemon battle arena. Doesn't anagram to anything snappy. I know it doesn't, but I like hitting each of those. It sounds nice when you hit it individually. But yeah, so she goes into the battle arena where she has to fight a giant suit of armor. Yes. Which would be a Golurk. In this room are both her father and her older sister. Yes. And then her younger brother joins there by her father's side. Her father is in one balcony by himself until her brother joins him and her sister is in a completely different balcony. Yep. Her father's and- like, this test is stupid. You shouldn't do this. This is dumb. I- this I- is a waste of my time. And if I think you can't go on, you fell. Mm-hmm. End of story. It's over. And she's just like, basically, like Weiss did to her brother, shuts her father down and tells why she can do this. Yep. And so we get this actual really cool, really well animated fight scene where Weiss is bouncing around using glyphs which is her semblance or special power yeah um hunt- because all hunters all theoretically hu- mm-hmm. have access to a power called a semblance which is their own super special power they all have a thing called aura which is like a force field that protects you and fuels your ability to use your special powers yeah. and then they have a semblance a super special power of their own and weiss's special power is she can manipulate dust into like sigils and glyphs except it's not that special of a power because it's passed down throughout her family but also that's the only family we know of that does that but yeah so weiss has hunters also have in addition to a unique semblance they have unique weapons personally designed for their own fighting style yes in weiss's case it's a rapier that has different cylinders at its hilt that change which dust she can use yes which changes what she can do with her powers an important thing to note uh that we didn't mention is when Jacques was talking he established the stakes of what this test represented Mm -hmm. that if weiss passed he would allow her to join a Huntsman Academy, which Huntsmen are the individuals who go out and fight the creatures of Grimm. Which the are big, monsters. black, scary monsters with bony faces that kill people and because al- they can. And almost destroyed all of humanity at one point. Yeah. And if she fails, she doesn't do that. And instead, she inherits the company and does what she does, whatever he says, basically. Yeah. So she is in this fight and it looks like she's going very well. She's dodging the attacks. Mm-hmm. She is picking up slack. And then she just gets a massive right hook from a giant. When we said giant suit of armor, we mean giant. It fills this entire like it's massive two, ballroom, it's basically. two and a half times her height. So it's like 12, 13 feet tall. Yeah. So its fist is like the size of her torso. And it hits her right in the face and it cracks a giant cut open along mm-hmm. her eye. 
She's Honestly, bleeding. I'm surprised she doesn't have a broken orbital bone, but that's because she has aura, which saves you from shit like that. So the fact that it broke through her aura to make her bleed either implies she doesn't have aura, or it managed to break through her aura. Depleting the last of what she had. Yes. Now, before we actually move on to the transition here, I want to mention that the lighting in this scene, the way they lit this room... Is very, very well done. Honestly, I can't speak well enough to the animation of this first episode. But yeah, so she's got the blood dripping down her eye, and then we take that blood and transition into a rose petal? Yeah. Or... Uh, A red leaf. A red leaf? Yes. And that red leaf transitions into... A blood red forest, both the grass and trees. I'm pretty sure it's Foreverfall. Yes, that is the name of the place. Yep, Foreverfall Forest. Which, despite being Foreverfall, everything's red. It's not Mm. all fall colors, but it's all like a blood red color. Yep, and in this transition we cut to two people, like Naruto jumping through the woods... Jumping through the forest. Mm -hmm. Talking about how it's going to be them and that they're going to get the supply. Yeah. So this this is Blake and her mentor. Adam Torres. Yes. And they're hijacking a Schnee dust train. Um, Schnee is Weiss's last name, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Her family owns a dust company. This isn't actually explicitly explained in this episode, but I think a lot of what the Ruby anime, Ruby Ice Queendom is doing is based on the idea that if you're coming to watch the ruby anime you're coming from either a place of having watched the original series played one of the video games read the manga you've had some experience with the well even if it doesn't do that it doesn't have to tell you that her family owns a dust company it does tell you that she owns this train through imagery that's we see her family everyone in ruby has a specific sigil of some sort generally it's individual to characters but weiss's family shares the same one it's a snowflake and we see that at her house it's all over the place we see her wearing one specifically an octopus octagonal snowflake yes and we see one emblazoned on the front of this train yes and so blake and adam are hijacking this train to steal the dust shipment yeah so they they fight a bunch of robots yeah because ruby is set somewhere between like full-on sci-fi and fantasy adventure yeah which is honestly one of the best places to exist in fiction yeah he's like you still get most people riding with swords and stuff but like ruby's primary weapon is a scythe that is also a sniper rifle yang's primary weapon yang's only weapon are metal gauntlets that also have shotguns on them yeah so like and blake's weapon here is a sword which its sheath is also a sword and then the sword that's not the sheath can turn into a pistol but also when it turns into a pistol the blade folds back so it's more like a comma so it's a pistol comma kasari gamma because she also has a long ribbon that she can throw that connects the sheath to the gun and she can still fire the gun despite not holding the trigger speaking of this actually this fight scene looks pretty good but the there's worst... some weak moments, though. And one of those weak moments is anytime she throws the Kurosamagama part... Instead of a nice dynamic shot of us seeing her manipulating it, which, yes, is a lot of work, we kind of just see this noodly ribbon flap about, and... And then the, the Kurosama... The, and the, the Kurosagama just moves... Smack some things. Just, like, magically moves across the screen. It doesn't look like there's weight to it, or that the ribbon is pulling it either. Yeah, it looks like magic. Which, I mean, the show, Ruby has a whole bunch of magic going on even if they won't call stuff magic yeah so they fight these robots and then we cut back to a flashback between weiss and her older sister winter where her older sister is just telling her basically your aura is very very weak you don't have a lot of it three good hits and you are down you are a glass cannon now she specifically says one hit and you're out like oh yeah yeah 
You're Basically, not... you are you are really really weak. You're good at being fast. You're pretty powerful, but you cannot take a fucking hit. Yeah, the speech boils down to Winter being like, "You're not strong enough mm-hmm. to be anything other than." A pampered rich girl. Which reflects pretty well because as we cut back to Weiss in the current time, she actually... So when we cut to Blake and Adam, Weiss had just stood up, we saw the blood. But right before that, her father had told her, you see, it's over, we're done, give up, you can't Mm -hmm. stand this. And so when we see Winter's thing, it's literally just like reinforcing the idea, like her sister's bad meddling her, but as an idea of negative reinforcement, right? Mm -hmm. So Weiss fights this fucking thing and murders it. She burns its hand off. Yeah, she burns she cuts off an arm with a fire stroke from her sword yeah she then uses her ice magic to impel it into the air well she uses her sigils to make they're not ice really it shoots out and we see a sigil holding each of its limbs Mm, yes that's right and then she uses another one to propel herself through its torso and it bursts into blue flames and then crumples and disappears yep and honestly this shot where she propels herself forward she does this like side flip and it's a slow rotation the entire shot is beautifully done and we zoom in on her face which has the blood on it and we see the reflection of the giant armor in the eye and it's really really well done and we then- follow that line of motion down to her arm as the runes that are basically carved into a rape here that we don't see the most part light up with the dust as it's charged and then she cuts through it and here after having defeated this giant armor her father basically in anger goes fine you can go and then walks out of the room he angrily DCs from the chat room. Yeah. We then go from there immediately back to Blake and Adam, and their fight has spilled out of the actual train and onto the top of it. Well, actually, they start on the top, go inside, fight. Then they don't go back out on top. There's a blank train space. Mm, my bad. They fight more, and then they end up in another one where there's a bunch of crates with the snowflake symbol, and he opens one, and it's filled with dust, and he smiles all happy. And at this point, he's like, cool, we're going to go ahead and take control of the train and derail it into the ravine. Yeah, which, okay. But Blake objects because the train isn't an autopilot. It has actual workers and people on it. To which Adam points out, they're just humans. They're not faunus. It does not matter. And so Blake kind of like... Because we haven't mentioned here, we mentioned that Blake is a faunus, but so is Adam. And they are both a part of a group called the White Fang. Which is part terrorist organization, part part equal rights group. Yeah, you know, um, like what history would tell you the Black Panthers were. Yeah. I, I specifically say like history would tell you because if you don't know about the Black Panthers and you think they're just a terrorist group, you need to go do a bunch of yeah, research. Yeah, they were. They did a lot of actual good equal rights movement work that isn't just considered domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. They were just classified by that because of course they were. Because white people were scared of the black people. Also because the government could use that. That way you didn't focus on the shit they were doing. Yeah, but Blake turns and kind of walks away. She, it's not like she just bladed walks away adam doesn't really notice what she's yeah, doing she walks out of the car towards the next one and then she turns to face him says she's sorry and then decouples the trains by cutting through the coupling with her sword yeah i was about to say decouple is not correct she viciously disconnects these trains from one another with a single slash of her sword in the calmest looking face you can imagine it was like it's not even like a heavy it was slash. like swatting a fucking fly it's like her. a flick of her wrists and this is actually so we've only watched the first two episodes of ruby ice queendom but we've watched like four five seasons six seasons seven bud of the 
American Animation Ruby, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves. Based on the trailers and like this first episode, you would expect Blake to be one of the most deadly members of the upcoming Team Ruby. Yeah, she Our, has what infield experience, has been doing it for quite a while, it seems. She she's literally spent years of her life fighting to survive. Yeah. But for some reason the show become makes her like out to be the weakest member of the team. Besides her actual leader, but only when her leader doesn't have her weapon. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of upsetting when you think mm-hmm. about it. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I already mentioned Blake's weapon looks terrible in these fight scenes because when she's swinging it away from her, the way the camera cuts are set up, it makes it look like it just moves yeah, by like, magic. Yeah, like it's just kind of floating across the screen. And then as she leaves, we see Adam's part of the train's low, and we see a bunch of other White Fang members show up, and they ask him if they want him to follow Blake, and he says no. He basically is just like, she'll learn that we are right, and the world is just as fucked up as we say. Then we cut to nighttime in the city of Vel. Mm-hmm. Where and- Ruby is walking down the streets, having a great time. Yeah, she's she- been going to stores, she's had cookies, she's been to bakeries, she goes to weapon shops because she loves weapons. Yep, she's out shopping specifically looking for a present for Yang to celebrate Yang's acceptance into Beacon Academy. Yeah, which yeah honestly like that's a really nice thing to do and while she's out on the town she kind of loses track of time she doesn't get to go to Vel very often it seems she's lost track of time but she looks around and she sees oh, yeah. that a dust store is still open and she says that's great and heads towards it and when she gets inside she goes to the magazine rack mm-hmm. and finds an issue of weapon magazine which is which, obviously ruby's favorite magazine which right next to it is a stardust crusaders magazine which is a jojo reference it should also be noted she has over the ear headphones on at this point has had them on the entire time she's mm-hmm. been in Vel, and she's just jam into some beats while reading mm-hmm. weapons magazine also if i feel like point out other references she looked at televisions and there was a black rock shooter ad then we'd cut to yeah. yang her sister and her father tai yang okay yeah that's right tai yang mm-hmm. he named his daughter after himself well kind of i mean he would have he assumably used the female version of his name for his daughter i don't know how naming works in ruby because sometimes it uses like an asian aesthetic where the first name goes well, last because his name is tai yang Zhao long and her name is yang Zhao long Zhao long seems to be his family name oh so he his name is tai yang Zhao long so he's just like you're my name minus the tie yes that's hilarious there is no tie for first place it's him and then she's second <laughs> clever did you did you come up with that on the fly i did amazing purely because ty loves puns that is canon but yeah so yang walks into her dad's room she's like hey do you have any idea where ruby is it's getting kind of seen her. yeah and he's like and she's off in vel and she's like i'm a bit worried that she's in vel by herself and he's like look you're going to beacon and that's great and yang's like well yeah but i'm kind of worried about ruby being in signal all by herself which is the well, you missed the part where he's like she's in vel buying you a gift oh yeah yeah he just and yang's like well it. i was trying to pretend like i didn't know that yeah so yang mentions that she's worried about leaving ruby all alone in signal which is a primary combat school and then beacon would be a secondary combat school it's like a finishing school for fighting monsters it's combat it's hunter prep school and hunter college yeah and ty's just like i mean it's not really college it's a trade school yeah but and ty's just like look i get it you're her older sister you want to protect her but like she needs to grow and do things on her own also we get a picture we get a face of a clock here um Justice thinks Justice thinks it's in 24 hours. I don't know what it, the 18 in the middle meant. So it says an 18 on it, and the hour hand is at the 45-minute mark. So if you know your 24-hour clocks, you know that where traditionally on a 12-hour clock, you have a 12, that'd be a 0. Where you have a 3, that would be a 6. Where you have a 6, that would be a 12. And where you have a 9, that would be a 18. Well, I'm not arguing with that, but the 18 looks like it's... It could just be a date. Yeah, it looks like it's solid in there, though. Yeah. Um... 
My only point is, if we are assuming that this clock works on the same time scale as real-world Earth clocks, it's 9.04 p.m. Or it's 6.04 p.m. It can't be 6.04 p.m. Because even on a 24-hour clock, that, that would be 9 That'd be nine p.m. Zero, six. 18 hours into your day puts you where? At 6 o'clock, but that doesn't make sense because they said it was getting late. Not that it was in yeah, the Yeah, 6 could be late if you're worried about your 15-year-old Actually, daughter out is, in the city by this, herself. This is my best argument for you, that it's that, that it's not a 24-hour clock. And that it, 18... it's, it's dark outside? Yes. And they're starting the school year? But also, you don't know when they fucking start their school years. They, they start their school years in the equivalent of August. You don't we, know that. I do know that. Word of God. Okay, but you don't know how their their seasonal calendar works. Yes, we do. The maidens are named after the seasons, and they go in order. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. Yes, this is knowledge that's not in this anime. Yeah, but we're, you're saying August. That doesn't mean August corresponds with our August. It does, because they specifically... Look, maybe, maybe Ruby operates in a southern hemisphere. It doesn't. You don't know that. I do. <laughs> I do. Again, word of God, they, they use the same school year as we do. Anyways, though, now we're back to Ruby. Well, kind of. Actually, we're back to the dust shop, aptly named From Dust Till Dawn, because the original source material loves its puns. And there's a guy in a white suit jacket and a bowler hat and a cane strolling into From Dust Till Dawn with some dudes behind him wearing black suits. Just picture Malcolm McDowell in A Clockwork Orange. He is Alex Delagrange. It's who the character is inspired by. Yeah. He's, again, every character is based off of a character, basically. Mm -hmm. And he holds the man up with a cane. Okay. Clearly, it's a weapon. This word has weird weapons. I I love it because even in Ice Queendom, when he holds the cane up, there's a little thing on the bottom of the cane that flips up like a targeting reticule. Yeah, it's just a tiny little reticle. And so the cane itself is a hollow barrel, Mm -hmm. and it's got a little targeting reticule on it. He's like... And just on the tip, you can see it here twice is a little jack or lantern face it's beautiful um but he's like oh we don't want your money boys get the dust well he doesn't tell them that he doesn't say get the dust but yeah they go and get dust though yeah and while this is happening everybody else runs out of the store and one goon like walking around to secure the store notices i mean they are technically hatchet men I know they're called hatchet men because they use hand axes. Also because, because hatchet men is slang for a goon or a henchman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's why they use hatchets is because the pun. Yeah. Because again, the creators of Ruby were like, it's how a many pun. puns can we fit in here? And too so many. The answer is too many. The guy goes up and he's like, hey, I said hands up. She doesn't respond. He taps her on the shoulder. She pulls her headphones down. And he goes, we're robbing the place. So hands hands up again. And she's like, are you robbing me? And then she knocks him through a table and does like a spiral rose dash out the window. And by spiral rose dash, I mean she becomes a cyclone of rose petals and breaks through the window. Yes. Uh, To which Roman, the man who entered, whose name we will get never in these episodes, but I love him and I will tell you his name because he is an amazing character. The Malcolm McDowell character is called Roman. Roman Torchwick, yes. And he is like... A Beacon Academy student. Well, first he goes, a semblance? A hunter? Well, a Beacon Academy student? Yes, yeah, a Beacon Academy student. And, and then, then he basically just nods his head for his henchman to go fight the, hatchet, the problem. And all the hatchet men run outside. And get their ass kicked by a 15-year-old girl. And Ruby pulls her scythe out from behind her back. We saw it once at the very beginning of the episode. Yes. But it uncollapses from its carry position into a scythe slash sniper rifle. Does a bunch of flourishes with it and then proceeds to stomp their ass into the ground. In my opinion, the most well animated fight of this entire episode. Yeah, and also it demonstrates how skilled Ruby is as a character because yeah. it's a scythe. It's a bladed weapon. It's bladed on both sides. And she does not kill a single person. Even though she's firing off sniper shells to give momentum, swinging a scythe around. Like, 
Not yeah. a single person gets killed here. She doesn't like hit a killing blow on anybody. And so Roman walks out of the store, holds his cane up at her, and shoots her. And it's just a smoke round, and this purple smoke comes up, blocks her view, and when it clears, she sees him using a, the handle of his cane, which is a hook shot to climb up a building. Yes, so she follows him, and he manages to get into an aircraft that uh, is called uh, a bullhead. So there's certain lines in the English where the delivery is just so excellent that I'm yeah. glad they carry like the line through, if not the delivery, because Roman gets one of those lines here. When you get, when Ruby shows up on the roof, he goes, you just don't know when to quit. Yeah. Which is a, a yeah. fun line. And the He actor, also calls her Red, which is... What he calls her forever. Yeah, through his entire interaction with her, throughout his entire... Tenure on the show. Yep. So he gets into this flying ship. Yeah, it's like a... It's like an Osprey. Yeah. Yeah. A double-motored helicopter plane. Yeah, or like the Halo Pelicans, but with jet engines instead of fan blades. Yeah. And he throws a canister of dust at Ruby. At Ruby's feet, to be precise. And then shoots it. And, and just before it blows up, a purple sigil appears in front of Ruby's face... I mean, technically, we get fun anime about to blow up sounds. We hear an explosion. The screen goes white, and then it resolves into a big purple glyph thing. And simultaneously, while this is happening, Tai and Yang have made their way into Vel because and they Ruby find, is late. They find all these people on the ground in front of the dust store, and they're like, oh, Ruby, what have you done? And then they see the explosion, and we cut from there. Back to the roof. Where we see a woman in like a purple and white and black, like, well, you would imagine. Your stereotypical librarian outfit. Yeah. Black pencil skirt, white blouse, uh, except she has a brooch. So your options are stereotypical librarian or a very young granny from the Looney Tunes. It's also like very headmistress of a private academy. Mm-hmm. She also has a tiny little cape. Yes. And then we cut from there. And a riding wrap. Oh, uh, we don't cut from there. The Osprey plane jet flies away as... Yeah, we see this brief- woman shoots magic at it. Mm-hmm. And we see a woman in red in the cockpit. And fire magic is shot back out of the... It's red magic. It could be dust. It could be Honestly, gunshots. here, it specifically looks and sounds like the bullhead has guns that shoot back. Because it's two lines back into whatever this woman, Glinda, is actually her name, the librarian lady. Whatever Glinda is doing, it looks like there are two parallel lines that shoot out and seem to block it. It seems that this bullhead has guns. Yeah, that's fair. And then we cut from here to a police interrogation room. Where Glinda, the scary librarian lady, is reprimanding Ruby because she could have been killed. Do you know how much damage you could have done? Could you take all those bullets with your aura? You could have been killed. No one shot her besides Roman, and that wasn't a bullet. Yeah, I don't think a bullet was fired except the ones Ruby was shooting. I, okay, actually, I think there was one bullet fired, maybe, and that strictly seems to, in my opinion, be the one that hit the canister of fire dust in front of Ruby on the roof because it pierced through the tube, did not explode on contact like Roman's previous shot. It also should be noted that most of the bullets that were fired in this exchange were fired by Ruby Yes, as, as a method to propel herself faster. Mind you, she was in a busy area of a town. There were people who had just run out, and she was not managing the um, barrel of her gun well, so she could have easily shot civilians, yes. Like, that's what she should be criticized for. <laughs> exactly. Not for, yeah. Or, you know, fighting criminals that she's unsure of if have aura while she does, so assumedly she is stronger than them, because aura just makes you better than everyone else. It's like being a vegan. 
<laughs> and I don't know, with all her fucking double stomps to people's fucking chests, powered by sniper rifle plus aura, probably should be reprimanding for, I don't know, trying to kill people by stomping their chest through their spine. And while we're on the topic, though, um, of this interrogation, Glinda, if you couldn't tell by her name and her outfit and her character type, is based off Glinda Goodwitch. Her name is literally Glinda Goodwitch. Yep. So she is based off Glinda the Good Witch. And then in the police station, we see Ty and Yang. They're kind of just like, ah, oh, fucking hell. Then a man in a green suit with like Vashla Stampede, if you've watched Trigun sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Silver and- hair, a mug with a symbol of two axes with a laurel around them. He just like walks past the police, says hi to them. The police are like, Headmaster Ospin, sir. And this is Oscar Ospin, right? No, his name is Ospin. Okay, Professor Ospin. He's based off of, he's based off of Oz the Great and Powerful, the Wizard. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um and the man in the Emerald City, hence his green collar motif. And Yang's like, was that Ospin? And Ty's like, Yep, he's a great hunter, great professor, so on and so forth. And then Ospin walks into the interrogation room with a plate of cookies and his coffee mug. So these cookies are because in the original source material, Ruby is obsessed with cookies. She loves sweet food. She eats this entire pile of cookies in the original source material in like two seconds. We're talking like a mm-hmm. dozen cookies, if not more. And in the original, Ospin comments on her ability to fight, and she mentions where she learned it from, does a bunch of like kung fu action sounds, all while her mouth is filled with cookies. So it's all like, oh, woo, 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 woo. yep. And we get none of that. We don't get odd we, karate we, sounds. We don't, we don't even get the one line that like led to like so much intrigue for two seasons of the original animation. And a that- line that wasn't self inspired by anime. We don't even get. Yep. You have gray eyes. Nope, that no, line's not here. No, no, we get the silver eyes thing. Oh, he, he oh. Yeah, I thought you were talking about, that's my uncle. Oh, yeah. Which we don't get because we learned that Ruby learned to fight from her uncle, and that is a reference from the original team of the Western Ruby because there's a joke about anime that basically so-and-so that we've never met is always related to someone. Yeah, but Ospin goes, would you like to attend my school? After asking if she knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And mentioning the silver eyes. And we then cut to Yang and Ruby essentially hugging because now they're going to school together. And it's cool. And then we cut to Tai Yang and Ospin outside the police station. Where Ospin's just like, your daughter reminds me of your team, Team Stark. Which is Tai Yang. And then- Tai Yang, Zhao Long, Summer Rose, Raven Bronwyn, and Crow Bronwyn. And that is Yang's mother, Ruby's mother. And Yang's biological uncle. Yeah. And obviously both of their father. Yeah. So this is a thing that doesn't need mentioning, but for the most part, I hate a lot of fandom stuff. I hate fandom for the most part, but I will embrace this fandom and I enjoy it. The fandom that Tai Yang has canonically hooked up with every member of his team, including Crow. I'm down with that. Tai has fucked his entire team. I thought you were going to go into the fact that Ruby and Yang aren't full sisters. They're half sisters. I mean, which yes, but that, was, that seemed kind of obvious when we mentioned it. It was Ruby's mother yeah, and okay. Yang's mother and Yang's biological uncle. So if you can mathematics that in your head, it's pretty easy to figure out. After this, we cut to Blake sneaking through a countryside and hiding in a barn. Like, and, and the barn doesn't look like it's in super use, but it doesn't look like it's out of use either. More like, hey, I have this on my property. I probably stole some things in it. But as she's sneaking, she passes several grim that seem to be leading to this homestead area, and she just ignores them. Yep. Despite the fact that we then see on her scroll, she gets an acceptance from Beacon. Which we should mention a scroll is like, it's like a little metal bar that extends into a hollow screen in between them that you can interact with. It's like hollow glass that's collapsible. Yeah. So it's it's just a future. It's da- a future phone. It's a, it's a future like iPad slash cell phone. Yeah. And it's called a scroll because you expand it from two things and unroll it basically. Ooh. Yep. 
So, and then from there, we cut to Weiss and her butler, Klein, Klein. Mm-hmm. and they're talking, and he's like, you could just stay a bit longer. I'm uh, sure someone will be along, because she is getting ready to leave for Beacon. Her sister is not there, her father is not there, her brother is not there, and neither is her mother. No one is there to see her off, she except for Klein. She specifically says, her sister's busy because- Work. It, She's in the military. Yeah. And then her dad and her brother couldn't care enough to come. And her mother's too drunk to realize. And Klein is wearing a bald cap. Klein, yeah. Thank you for stealing my note, whatever. Klein, it's my note too. It's right yeah. there. In this, because it's, it's a side shot of them. In this, Klein looks like he's wearing a bald cap. When we saw him earlier, his head was fairly symmetrical. In this one, his head's a bit more oblong. And we have a heavy line where his brow is because it's kind of furrowed, but it looks like a heavy line. And the line for his hair, because he has a bit, it's like that surrounding just like, hey, I'm balding, but I'm not going to shave off what I have left, which is fine. Like, yo, if that's how you feel, don't do it. But that line on the top of what he has of his hair is so heavy. It's such a a heavily dark line that it looks like the man is wearing a bald cap which is not a thing i expect to say about an anime okay so unless they are intentionally meant to look like they're wearing a bald cap yeah um so weiss says goodbye to klein she takes her stuff, luggage luggage onto a giant hover ship with like four wings that collapse yes and then we see ruby leaving flowers on her mother's grave and being like hey i gotta skip ahead i'm going to beacon with yang mm. now it's gonna be great um then they're boarding the air everybody's boarding the airship we see blake get on and then we get a smash cut of four other people well not yet because yeah. first ty talks to his daughter she's like look yeah. you guys are perfect the way you are don't let the pressures of school change you. Don't change for anything. Despite even, the fact even that Even though he... I told Yang, you, I told you that your sister needs to learn to be independent and-, and Needs work. to change. No, neither of you change. Don't change. Yeah. And then we get a start of the outro dialogue, which is by the same person that was speaking in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get cuts of um, Jun- all of Team Juniper. Secondary characters of the original series that are pretty great. Yeah. They and- are the sister team to Team Ruby, which if you couldn't figure that out, and also we did, if we, you know, didn't mention it earlier, which we definitely did, is Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang. Because it's their initials. So Team Ruby is Ruby, Weiss, Blake, Yang, like you said. And then Team Juniper is Jean, Nora, Pira, and Ren. Yes. And so- we get all- we just get cuts of all of them, like, on the screen. And it's set to the outro dialogue, which is the continuation from the intro dialogue, same, same mm-hmm. voice actor, and... She's mentioning how victory isn't assured. You can gather your warriors and stay vigilant. But and then what? What's that assure you? And then Ozpin interrupts and says, "Well, maybe victory isn't in the big things. Maybe it's in maybe the victory things. isn't in strength. Maybe it's in something smaller, more, more gentle. Fra- yeah, more gentle, a simpler soul. And it's such a yeah. honestly, the original Ruby animated series has terrible animation for the first two seasons, three seasons. Two, three becomes all right." And, like, it's not terrible if you're, like, comparing it to, like, web series on YouTube or anything. But if you are comparing it directly to anime, it is bad. Or even, like, most most good quality American cartoons. Yeah, it, it's not good. But the acting, the, vo- the voice line mm-hmm. delivery is all so top tier. These lines from Ozpin and um, Salem in the original first episode are so powerful. Like, the music they're set to, the line delivery, and they they carry some of that power here, but they're missing the music, they're missing, like... Yeah, so, I mean, that's basically it, though, right? And I feel like what you're starting to get into, we can end up in our thoughts for the first episode. Uh, Because we have the ending song. Which is actually the opening song, because... So, I'm not going to comment on it yet. Yeah. And so, your thoughts on episode one of Ruby Ice Queen, um, 
episode one, red, white, black, yellow, black, yellow, black, yellow. Thank you for carrying the bit. Um, So I think to preface my thoughts on Ruby Ice Queendom, I have to like kind of talk about my, my thoughts about Ruby. Proceed. Because Ruby season one, I binged it in one night. I discovered it online, binged it all, and then I had to wait a week for the season finale of the first season. I did the same thing. Very good stuff. It it was... I watched it on a small Blackberry screen phone. It was original. It was creative. It was fun. The world building was amazing. And it just made... It, I, it made me imagine. It made me care. Like, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And season two and three feel similar. Season three broke my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And season four... Well, it should be noted after season three, the, the original creator passed away. Yes. And so as you get f- further away from season three, you can feel it steer away from his vision. Yeah, it and, feels less and less like what we had in the first three volumes. And like, obviously that's going to happen. And it's not a bad thing, like on an overall note, but it feels continually different. And at su- a certain point around season five, I think I just stopped caring about keeping up with it. Yeah. I think I watched season six, but I haven't watched season seven yet. You've watched season seven, you haven't watched season eight yet. Okay. And I just stopped caring about it as much. It's a thing that it's like, I'll watch it at some point. And the worst part is the animation just kept getting better and better. So yeah. like, it looks genuinely good now. Oh yeah, it actually looks great. Yeah, it looks genuinely great now. But like, the soul of it kind feels of- Feels inherently different. Mm-hmm. So watching this first episode of Ruby Ice Queendom, I was like- is this making me care about Ruby again? Yeah. It's beautiful. Image-wise, it's beautiful. It feels like what I would want out of a Ruby Season 1 remaster. It's got the character personality, but it's still a little bit different. It's got a little bit different things going on. It does a better job of like introducing characters' backstories organically instead of like keeping all that shrouded in mystery. The Ruby web series also builds character backstory decently well as well. It just does it much slower and at like a more methodical pace. This one introduces the character and their backstory at the same time, which there's pros and cons to both. I love this first episode. It genuinely it raises good. my spirits. That's that's the best way to yeah. put it. It genuinely raises my spirits and makes me excited for Ruby again. Dope. What about you? Okay, so I have to agree. The animation looks amazing. There are a few rough spots that I was that's always going to happen with anime. There was always going to be a few episodes you can find or a few spots in the episode you be like, that looks like it'd be a bit better. Like, yeah, I clowned on Quine looking like he was wearing a bald cap. Honestly, not actually a problem. Would not have noticed if I did not pause to take notes. Honestly, like, I don't think you're going to notice unless you do like what we do where you have to pause every so often because you're watching an anime and you're reading the sub and you're like, fuck, I need to take a note on a thing. Pause the fucking TV. And then as you pause, do you realize huh that seems funny i'm gonna take a note on that too but honestly it like josh said it does a great job of introducing these characters and like yeah it tweaks the way they're intro to it like but that's not a problem it tweaks it and makes it better we meet yang's and ruby's father here which feels really important because in the original series we learn that he is for the most part a very loving and caring father Mm -hmm. spoiler alert i guess for the entirety of ruby yang and ruby's father he's a single father but he's a strong figure in their life for them and we don't see him for three seasons yep he's mentioned vaguely in the background here and there well the same is true for jacques whitley yeah uh, but that that feels fine for weiss when we when we know for a fact when we're told that her family is distant like Mm -hmm. getting this here makes sense if we're focusing more on weiss which this show is going to do it's ruby ice queendom it's meant to focus more on weiss that's the thing it says so it's fine to get them here i understand that and yeah we don't delve very heavily into blake's backstory any more than we do in the original ruby which is fine Mm mm-hmm 
But it's nice to see a character who is supposedly really good for these characters and is involved in their lives to actually be involved in their lives from the get-go. Yeah. And honestly, yeah, I think it's great. The only downside I have to say about this is I missed the music from... Yep, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Like, this music is perfectly fine. It's it's good. It's, It's adequate. This music is adequate. It fits... But it's not memorable in most scenarios. This music, it's good anime music. But the music Jeff Williams and Alex Abrams did made the world of Ribnet have its own feel. You would feel moments where it felt like it was inspired by movies and these cinematic pieces, but also anime. And it kind of just blended all of these things together. The conversation between Salem and Ozpin, while it is beautifully acted and delivered, doesn't have the tense wonderful music that those two delivered mm-hmm. that underscored the entire conversation with such a dark sinister tone but also in the lines Austin added a light to it without changing the structure or the movement of the piece so i think we can both agree we'd be, we'd be willing to watch more ruby ice queendom oh yeah definitely it's an amazing retake, re-telling re- of a series that we both loved at the beginning. Yes. So that brings us to episode two. This is Beacon. The episode opens on Weiss reading her scroll. We then cut over to the news. News talks about a string of dust robberies. Yeah. And also that today is the day the new students of Beacon arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weiss reads about how they'll be divided into teams. We also get some slight introductions to Rin, Nora, Pira, and June before we cut to the opening sequence. We get introductions to who? Jean, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we get these introductions in a way that, that do establish their character. Yeah. Like, the core essence of their character pretty because well. Because Nora runs up to Rin and is like... Bumps into Weiss, which draws Weiss's attention. Mm-hmm. And Nora is rather excitable. And she, like, glomps, using the old internet term, Ugh. onto Rin and is like, We're flying! And he's like, yes, Nora, we've been flying for two hours. He's like, this actually says this bus is flying. He's like, we've been in the air for two hours. And again, this isn't a bus. It's an airship. Yeah. Deadpan delivery. And Jean stumbles through the background. background like, getting motion ready to- sickness. Asking if anyone has any um, motion sickness medicine, I think. Yeah. And or if P- they've seen a trash can, something like that. And then Pira just walks sto- by. Stoically walks by because she's Pira. And Weiss catches that it's Pira. And she pulls out her phone and pulls up a cereal box for pumpkin peats that has a picture of Pira on it. Then we cut to Yang and Ruby. And it's basically just them gushing about how cool it is that they're going to be going to Beacon together. Yeah, Yang's like, oh, my little sister, the genius, skipping ahead two years. And Ruby's like... I'm, I'm nervous. I'm I, skipping ahead two years. I don't know anybody. And Yang's like, yeah, well, you'll have to make your own friends now. And Ruby's like, no, I don't. I can just hang out with you all the time. And Yang's like... And, like, this is a big difference between the original series and this series. Because in this series, Ty, Ty specifically told her, hey, let your sister... Grow. And, but like, instead of being like, no, I got my own friends, peace. She's like, yeah, you can just hang out with me. That's fine. Which is vastly different than the Yang from the original series. Where she literally bells. Yeah, where she, she like waves. She bells so quickly. Her younger sister spins around in a circle in a daze and falls down on. Also, it's really, really sad because this scene has one of my favorite lines, a series of dialogue in the first season of the yeah. web, web web series. Yang's talking, she's like, but it, I wouldn't, can't. it just wouldn't translate yeah. to the Japanese. But, but in the original series, though, Yang's talking to Ruby. She's like, I just can't wait for everyone to meet my precious little sister. You'll be the bee's knees. And Ruby's like, I don't want to be the bee's knees. I want to be a normal girl with normal knees. I figured I'd mention that because I know you love quoting it. I do. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite lines. In essentially all of animation, right up there with I don't think that's what a um sl- I don't think that's what a sloth sounds like, Nora. Boop. <laughs> it's uh! also I'm queen of the castle. 
yes. Ruby is intimately quotable. Yeah. Intimately uh, quotable. Literally, I just, because so much of these episodes are similar, if there's a scene that I know well enough from the original, I just put what the scene is in comparison to, and then the part that it's missing. So this conversation in my notes was, Yang and Ruby, uh, pre-Beacon Talk, basically the knee speech and shadow friends minus the cool parts. <laughs> and what he means by shadow friends is in the original animated series very um, little budget not enough to draw detailed background characters draw silhouettes yeah so they were all silhouettes um i think season three is when we lost silhouettes and it was sad because one of the greatest things was watching people's reactions because it was just wait that person in the background's not a silhouette they're important who are they yeah it's well, that's how people first found out john was a character they're like that guy that guy that stumbled and was going to throw up he had collar he had collar uh we then cut to the op um this this opening song is in all rights a banger yeah it, it feels very to me persona e i got a lot of like disgaea vibes from the music. i can see that too but i will say no matter how much of a banger this theme song was it does not hold a candle to this will be the day agreed which this will be the day was the first theme of ruby and like you said abrams and williams masterful work on the series yes but the opening theme is by by jeff williams the kind of like became a calling card for the series yeah, and like, it's sang by his daughter casey yeah mm. but the song is perfectly fine it's it's a good song i am disappointed with the animation of this opening there is not a single original animation shot in this, we have some original transitions, I guess. We see Team Ruby and Team Juniper sigils. And, like, the only original art we might have, which I actually, I'm assuming it's probably more of promo art, is we get a slash screen of all the teams. So it's, like, in order. So it's Ruby, Wyatt, Blake, Yang. And it has a letter and it has, like, an image of them. And then we do the same thing with Juniper later. But I feel like that's probably promo art because, like, they did no original, like, short animation bits. Yeah, probably. Which is a little disappointing, but it's not the worst thing. Yeah, it's just kind of sad. It's been forever since I've seen anime not do some original stuff in there. Yeah. The web series had near complete original animation for the opening and for the closing of every season. There were a few times here and there where they'd have a clip from the show, but they would edit it. I, I love how they took shots out of context. Yeah, the they, they love to take shots out of context. There was <laughs> one where it looked like Weiss was dead. Yeah, Ruby's holding Weiss and, and crying, but it's actually just a food fight from the first episode of that season. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's great. Um, anyways, we cut back when we get back to the actual show, Ruby and Yang meet Blake. No, no, no. Oh. We cut back and we see some background characters and right there, a testament to Will, perseverance, and honestly, just hard work, (laughs) is a man I can only assume is the first of his family to graduate from Signal and get accepted into Beacon. Sure, he's 36, but he's worked for it. Justice is talking about one of the extra characters in the background who appears to be in his 40s. 36 is an undersell. I was being nice. Yes, it's an animated character, but I'm still being nice. I'm going to do the thing I do that you hate. I'm going to reference wrestling. Okay. You know Bobby Fish? Sure. He's 45 years old. Damn. This dude looks older than Bobby Fish. Yeah. And other than like MMA fighters or... Look, these people live in a world with monsters. I can understand aging a bit prematurely. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Then we get Ruby and Yang meeting Blake who is busy reading a book called The Man with Two Souls, which is a reference to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but in this is also a reference to Ozpin. But I'm not going to spoil that for you. If you want to watch the original series or you want to get into this, 
I'm not going to spoil that. I'm just going to tell you it's a reference to Ozpin. Enjoy that little hint. But Ruby and Yang are like, hey, what are you doing? And Blake's like, reading. And they're like, oh, what are you reading? And Blake's like, a book that I'm going to get back to as soon as you leave me alone. Not really so much in this one. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, she, def- she, she definitely is. I mean, she's a specifically- bit, but it's not nearly as blatant as it was in the original. Where the yeah. original one was literally just like, piss the fuck off. And that's because in this, all of our main characters are boiled down to a single trait that make them ideal for a dating sim. And for Blake, that is the depressed girl. And for Ruby- The depressed girl with cat ears, thank you very much. Yeah, so she can't be mean because that'd be two character traits. She'd That's why she's his character She'd trait. be infringing on the rich mean girl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Ruby's the happy one. And Yang's the sporty one. Yeah. You're getting it. You're getting it. By Jove, I think he's got it. By Jove, I think he's got it. Um, So while they're doing this, then a thing on the news pops up about the White Fang. Yeah, it's talking about how riots broke out at a Fauna Rights rally. A Fauna Rights rally. Mm -hmm. And it's because White Fang members showed up. White Fang are suspected in a series of dust robberies that are currently going on. And And this is the most curated shot I have ever seen of police doing their jobs. Because we see Fauna in the background protesting and only the White Fang members are being attacked. But we know that's not what's going on. The police definitely tear gas those individuals and they definitely beat them with their batons because all cops are bastards even fictional ones i disagree with that all cops are bastards not always including fictional ones that's why shows like the rookie work is because they're set in a fictional world where not all cops are bastards it's it's why they work it's because it's fine it's because it's, they're their fantasy shows the rookie is a fantasy show law and order a fantasy show the cops and most law and order are show bastards that's fair brooklyn Whatever it's called, Brooklyn fantasy nine, show. Nine. It's a it's a fun show. It's a fantasy show. Yeah, but um, anyways, Yang and Ruby start talking well, about yeah. how fucked up the SDC is because the SDC being the Schnee Dust Company. Yeah, because that's why the Fonis are upset because the SDC exploits them. Essentially, treat them like slave labor. Yeah, essentially uses them as as slave labor. They're extremely corrupt. And then Y shows up and she's like, excuse me, that's wrong. And they're like, there's no proof that the Snee Dust Company uses slave labor. Yeah, basically. And they're like, who are you to say that? And she's like, I'm the heiress, the SDC. And this prompts an argument between Blake and Weiss where Blake is like, look, if you think all Faunus are evil, you're an idiot. And Weiss is like, well, if you're on the Faunus' side, why are you even here? Wait, sorry. So actually what she says when she shows up, it is something along the lines of, I can't believe you're buying into that anti-human Faunus garbage. Yep. Yep. Because one of these characters is a racist and the other character is right. Weiss is being a racist. Literally, she treats the idea of being told, hey, not everyone is the same. As as an insult, she's like, the idea of not all Faunus being evil is an insult to her. She seems personally affronted by the idea. We have one character here who is blatantly being racist, and another character who thinks the exploitation of workers' rights is tantamount to evil. One is entirely correct, and the other is the heiress to a billion dollar company yeah this is a friendly reminder that all billionaires are evil there is no way you have that much wealth without committing vast evils against your fellow human beings all billionaires are evil even fictional ones yes (laughs) yes so yang breaks them up and she's like hey 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 hey, let's just start again and so ruby being ruby the happy naive go lucky one is like yeah uh maybe we can all be friends and everything and weiss in a similar thing to the original 
is basically like, yeah, we can hang out, do our nails and talk and talk about cute boys. Like she points over her shoulder at Jean and she calls him like awkward and scraggly. Yeah. And Ruby's like, really? And then Weiss goes, no. Never talk to me again. Yeah, and, and walks both, away. Both Weiss and Blake storm off. Yes. They both storm off. And Ruby's just like, what? And before Yang and Ruby can really like start getting into it, like, man, that was awkward. Before they can have a conversation about negative friends. Yes. Ozpin and Glinda show up as holograms. So Ozpin and Glinda explain to them that they're heading not towards Beacon, but towards the test site where they will be doing their entrance exam. Yes. And I am unsure if the spot underneath them opens up as a window or if it's a hologram display screen but we see a forest but it seems to have a highlighted path so i'm believing it's a hologram Mm -hmm. but i wish it was just a hole in the floor so weiss could be sucked out of and forgotten and yes i realize she is the main character of this canon adjacent side story but i don't care and they're told that they will have to make their way through the forest to a ruined temple where they will collect a relic and return that relic to beacon cliffs in order to be accepted into beacon academy and here they will also be joining their partners the relics will determine their teams but they will also get their partners in the forest and their partners will be the first people they make eye contact with and uh you know it's pretty important to have a good partner so hopefully that turns out well for you yep so after the announcement about this test weiss goes up to pira because she's like oh pira she they are in a locker slash storage room inside the ship and Pira is like a, a multi-time winner of essentially high school high school hunter Olympics. So yeah, like it's like if you were a state champ of a high Track school. Yeah, yeah, the Vital Festival is what it's called. But oh no, yeah, that's what they say. She is not a champion of the Vital Festival. The Vital Festival is for Huntsman Academies. Pretty sure they say Vital Festival in this. No. Okay. She graduated the top of her class at Sanctum. She's a three-time champion of something or other. A three-time Mistral Regional Champion. Mistral Regional Champion. That's what it mm-hmm. is. You're right. And, well, Weiss is trying to suck up to Pira and be like, we should, like, work together to become a team. Jean interrupts and he's like, hey, ladies. Well, actually, he's like, hey, talking to Weiss. I heard, uh... You were interested in me because he overheard Weiss and didn't catch all the conversation. He heard, he's also important out here and heard the word cute and sure, I guess. Hey, Jean's taking a shot based yeah. on the information he has. And honestly, based on the information he has, this is an honest shot. Yeah, like, yeah, makes sense. And Weiss proceeds to kind of make fun of him and she's like, do you even know who who you're talking to right now? Well, she's like, excuse me, I'm talking to someone. And then Jean turns his attention to Pierre and he's like... There's a spot open on Team Jean as well. And that's where Weiss is mm-hmm. like, do you even know who you're talking to? And this is where we find out that she's a three-time Mistral champion, top of her class, was on the box of was on the cover of a box of cereal. And Jean goes, I was never much of a fan of that cereal. Well, he goes, wow, awesome. Yeah. It's not very good for you. Which is sad because in the original, he freaks the fuck out. Because he's like, wait, that's you on the front? They only do that for cartoon characters and, and celebrities. Yeah. And then Pierre is the one that points out that it's not very healthy for you. And this is important to me because he has a bunny hoodie that is the mascot of the cereal brand. She I don't points, understand why he would have it. She in also this. points out that it, that it's not healthy in this because he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I never really liked it. And yeah, she goes, and she points out that it's not healthy as well. I think this is him underplaying it because I think yeah. he he is still he read like, the situation better. Yeah, I think yeah. this is a genre who's a little more suave than the one we get in the American web series. Yeah. But basically, he gets ignored by both of them, so he walks off, and he's like, man, Dad always said all you needed with women was confidence. Yep. So then we cut to Ozpin and Glinda. And nine students. On the edge of a cliff, and they're sitting on launch platforms. With big electronic flags. And it's it's really important that um, we note none of this is consistent in this episode at all. 
Every, it's not consistent with the original. It's not consistent here. Well, my biggest issue is the inconsistency within itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely. I'm just saying Ruby is nothing standing, about this is consistent. Ruby is standing next to Jean. She is yeah. number eight, as her flag says, and Jean is number nine. And there's nine launch stations here. Mm-hmm. And then Jean is standing next to three guys, and then Jean is standing next to Ruby. Or the only other option is we have an odd camera angle. Jean has stepped off no. his platform, no. and he is a giant because he is still the same size as the guy closest to him. Anyways, they all get launched into the sky, and then we get introduced to a brand new character. And there are 12 people in the sky instead of nine. And then we get introduced to a brand new character who is not from the original series, and not from the manga as far as I know, and not from any of the video games, and their name is Shion. Shion Zaida? Something like that. Yeah. And they he are... He is a specialty huntsman. Yeah. And Hunts nightmares. Definitely a villain. Honestly, dresses like Ahsoka from Hunter x Hunter. Yeah. But with a witch hat. Definitely a villain. Yeah. That, that's where I'm going to leave that. I don't care what the show says. Shion is a villain. We think that the characters... Well, we, we learned that they're here looking for a specific prey, and Ospin seemed slightly surprised that they were here. Yep. Which is weird, because it's his academy. And Shion's apparently a professor. Anyways, we then cut to what is considered a pretty iconic segment from the original series. Landing strategies. And their landing strategies in this, in this adaptation are all terrible. Yang blasts a hole in a, in a cliff, then bounces off the cliff face into a tree onto the ground. Well, kind of like flips backwards. It could could work it could literally just be the end of her strategy from before and then we get ruby's strategy which is to bang her scythe into the ground very hard to absorb all of her momentum a character who one of their main facets is how much she loves weaponry she specifically her weapon who is named crescent rose and is a he and should be equivocally treated as important well, Ruby as a character loves weapons more than she loves other people. Yes. Like, not, literally, not, there's a line in the first show. It's like where she's talking about how she doesn't want to meet people, but she's excited to meet weapons because it's like making new friends, but you don't have to talk to them. Yeah. They like, not, she like loves her sister. She loves her dad. But like, she prefers interacting with weapons because it's They're simpler. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then we get Jean's landing strategy, which is to be caught in a tree by Pyrrha's spear. No, no. This this is a problem. Yeah, agreed. He slams into this tree, which, by the way, those launch pads in, in the original, maybe they were spring-loaded, these have, like, big cannon sounds, and they fucking, these people fucking soar off. They actually soar off in such a manner that it wouldn't have been out of place if they twinkled, and we heard, Team Rocket's blasting off again. Yeah. And John slams into this tree, falls down a bit, and then gets caught by the back of his hood with, with a spear. But here's the thing. It's not mentioned here at all. Unless this is the biggest change they do in this entire show. Fun fact. Starting here at this point, John does not have his aura unlocked. He has no magical force filled. He's not stronger than normal. He can't heal easily. And he basically just got launched from a cannon into a tree easily over 200 yards away. I would say at least a mile away. That's Based what I was going to say, but I was, I'm, I'm going to say easily over 100 yards. It's way further than yeah. that. And off a cliff face. Mm -hmm. Smacks into it and is perfectly fine. The worst that happens is, in a moment when he falls down from the tree when the spears are moved, he groans. And then he's later up and running. So, then we get Weiss and Ruby in the forest. Ruby runs into Weiss while, while she's looking for Yang. Their eyes make contact, so now they're partners. And Weiss turns around and goes, nope, and walks off. Then we hear Jean calling. Weiss looks up, sees Jean, turns around, grabs Ruby, and drags her off. Yep, she's like, I'd rather be partners with this girl than that useless guy. Than the guy. idiot stuck in a tree. Yep, so the two strike off into the woods. We and then, see the spear jiggle, Jean falls, and Pierre's like, hey, John, is not, there a spot on your she, team? No, she's not. She's not like, hey, John. She's not like, hey, John. Because that would imply that she's having a lucky Pyrrha from the, from the Western animation. This is not that Pyrrha. This Pyrrha is standing over him holding a spear with a, with a grin that says, I'm going to murder you. 
because this is the most intimidating purist ever looked in any piece of media ever. So it's how the fandom saw her. So she's just a Yandere. So she's still like, hey, John, is there any spot left on your team? But underneath it, there's a lying sinister stone of, if there's not a spot left on your team, I am castrating you with this spear. So then we get Weiss and Ruby walking off. And Weiss is like, come on, you're just slowing me down. Ruby shows off her super speed um, with the rose petal things. And we get a cut of like red eyes from the woods, which are mm-hmm. these Beowulf, the Wolfgrims watching them. Yeah, we have a rose-tinted lens for a moment. But we cut from those Grimm, like, starting to surround Weiss and Ruby, to a bear Grimm called a um, Ursa fighting Yang. And this this transition... Fighting Yang is a strong f- Fair one. This transition, though, is excellent. It's so well done. Yeah. Yang takes her gauntlets, which are normally set as bracelets on her wrist, flexes her wrists, they pop up over her hands, she holds back, punches this thing, it stumbles back, and for some reason, this giant bear monster has pecs, abs, and cum gutters. And <laughs> the best part was when you realized it had cum gutters, you were like, did they make this thing fuckable it feels like they tried to make it fuckable and it's uncomfortable at first I didn't notice, there was a clear delineation between all of these segments i'm all you know you don't see that on a bear uh a, a bear you mostly just see fur yeah so anyways when yang punches it it falls back into the drawn sword of blake and now they're partners and blake did so much work i'm proud of her yeah yang acts impressed but all blake did was stand there with a sword drawn um allow me to establish this yang went into barbarian rage did a fuck ton of damage and then Blake used backstab and took all of the credit. So we then cut to Ruby and Weiss surrounded by Beowulfs. Yeah, well, they, before we cut, they actually had a bit of a tip when Yang called her childish and blah, 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 that she was unfit to be here and asked if she was, showed why she was so young. And, and Ruby was like, well, I did get in early. And Weiss was just like, oh, fuck, you actually are younger than me. So Ruby tries to prove that she is strong, that she's a strong fighter here, mm-hmm. but they end up tripping over each other. Because neither of them communicate well. Mm-hmm. So then they get fully surrounded by the Beowulfs. And then Weiss murders them all with fire dust. And sets the forest on fire. And Ruby does nothing. And Weiss chastises her because it's Ruby's fault she had to set the forest on fire. Yep, they get into another argument here. This argument is capped off with Ruby cutting a tree in half because she's yes. angry. And she does that in the original, I guess, so we have to keep that. And, well, we don't keep a bunch <laughs> yeah, of other things. I um and why is like and perfect you're a petulant child too and prone to mm-hmm. quickly anger and then ruby gets the lot like this series of lines is directly from the yeah. western series ruby goes you just think you're perfect well she's like i hate you you just think you're perfect you just think you're better than me and that you're perfect and then Weiss gets the killer, the fucking killer line where she goes, I'm not perfect, but I'm still leagues better than you. Well, and actually, she gets the perfect stunned face that goes to angry, but stunned in anime terms where she was moving, but she stuns so hard, even her earrings that were swinging are now frozen against gravity. So th- after that line, Nevermore, a giant raven grim comes flying down to the sky. Well, we see a feather fall down and we cut the scene. Yeah, okay, cool. Then we get to Yang and Blake. They're the first ones to the temple to retrieve the relic. The first one of our main characters we've seen so far. Um, and they're quickly followed by Ren and Nora, who beat up a Beowulf on their way to the shrine. And Ursa. And Ursa, my bad. So when they get there, the relics turn out to be chess pieces. Blake and Yang take a white knight. Yeah. And then... Nora picks up a white castle and goes, Yeah. I'm queen of the castle. No, she doesn't, but she does see, I'm queen of the castle. And, I'm going to ring your king. Yeah. Because her partner is Rin, her friend from the airship. But here's an important thing that I think changes Nora's character somewhat. Uh, is it the, when, l- is when, it the lack of boop? Well, yes, but also when she shows up. We don't actually see her riding the Ursa. She's, we just see her slam her hammer into the thing from its head. And then Blake says, was she riding that Ursa? And the thing is, though, Nora actively kills this Grimm in this. Whereas when we originally see her, she literally just, we see her 
actively riding the scream. And she rides it until a creature that supposedly does not hunger, does not thirst, does not want for anything, dies. She rides a creature that apparently needs nothing to survive but hatred until it dies. I mean, I think there's a lot of important things they ch- they change about um, Nora here. Also, we don't see Ren get to kill because a giant fucking snake bite with his bare hands. One of the, yeah, the, the Taiju fight. Taiju two fight. It's one of the really important things about Nora as a character, and this is diving deep into her backstory, is that Nora and Ren are both characters built by trauma. Yep. And, and for Nora, she actively covers that trauma by being like overly cheerful. and over- Overly bubbly. Overly bubbly all the time. Mm-hmm. Because if she stops being overly cheerful, if she stops being overly bubbly. That's when you have to deal with life. She has to confront all this trauma and all this terror that she lives with and like them hey question how's it feel to like a beast boy type character <laughs> i mean i've loved nora since like yeah. day one yeah not right yeah but anyways so that happens and then we see ruby and weiss getting well, chased wait, sorry by... no then then in the what i'm about to say is going to be controversial as we continue on the worst animation of this episode <laughs> Almost like I'm dragging in a picture. Like, I, I just have a bouncing in animation from PowerPoint. Jean and Pira fall into the scene. Get knocked into the scene. Not yet, because we haven't got Ruby and Weiss here yet. Ruby and Weiss show up first, being chased by the Nevermore. And then, right after them, comes Jean, Jean and Pira getting knocked in by I a I could have sworn that happened just before it. No. Yeah, but uh, Ruby and Weiss get chased in instead of writing it in like badasses. Yeah. Right? Ruby and Weiss grab the other white knight, and then John and Pira grab the other white rook. And they're being chased by a giant scorpion called a Deathstalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and here is one of the biggest issues. Is it is it the fact that uh, Ruby doesn't contribute to that first fight at all? That's a pretty big issue. No. Um, is, it, is it the fact that... Ruby doesn't suggest they ride the Neverwar because they're lost in the woods and don't know where the shrine is at all? Nope. Is it the fact that Ruby, who is actually a tactical genius, suggests that they run away and, and don't fight the Nevermore and Deathstalker because these Grims are massive and their job isn't to kill them, their job is to get back to the cliffs? Well, yes, that is the problem because Ruby doesn't do that here. Oh, my bad. I forgot. Instead, Blake points out, hey, we should just run away. We already have the relics that we're supposed to. And instead, Ruby wants to stay and fight because Osbin said they may have to kill Grimm. In the original Western animation, by this point, Ruby's already killed not just Beowulfs, but she also killed a Nevermore because there's a tiny little Nevermore bird. Yeah. And when she's doing her landing strategy, as she falls out of the sky, like standing on her- Riding uh, the recoil because she's shooting her- Sniper rifle to slow herself down. She slices right through a tiny Nevermore and goes, no, birdie, no. Yeah. And anyways, though, in this, Jean agrees with Blake's assessment. Mm-hmm. And they run the fuck away. Yes. And then the teams separate and they don't even get the cool bridge scene where like Nora has to slam the bridge teeter-totter style to reunite Team Juniper. No, instead they just like separate so the two people with shields can like hold off the Deathstalker. Well, yeah. Team Ruby, like, now the distract wa- the, the giant yeah. raven. Now, I was going to mention something. The uh, the running animation is terrible. There's a yeah. moment during this running animation yeah. where the background doesn't move at all with their running. So it's literally them running for, like, ha- a second, maybe a half a second, mm-hmm. and nothing is changing. Their, their animation shows running, but they're not actually moving along the background, and the background isn't moving along them. There's no movement. Yes. And it's great. You say great. But yeah, this leads to a very lackluster fight between Team Juniper and the Deathstalker. Yeah, so you want to just do each fight separately? 
Um, here's the fights. Team Juniper with no team coordination pretty much whatsoever. I mean, there's more than what we're going to see in the other one. John runs in without saying anything to anybody, risking his own life. But then he calls Pyrrha to come in to help. No, he doesn't. He just says, we need to get in close, but only after he's already in yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Pyrrha comes in to save him because it, Pyrrha, I, because I, John isn't a leader in this, Pyrrha is. Arguably, yes, but you want to know what else? We don't know that because he charges in, says we need to get close, and assumedly, Pyrrha doesn't know the man doesn't have aura because maybe he fucking does. Yeah, and then Ren jumps on the scorpion tail. He just leaps, grabs the scorpion's tail, and sh- starts shooting it. At point blank range. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nora's just shooting it with a rocket, like with her grenade, grenade launcher. launcher. This and fight it, is terrible. It, it loses the tip of its tail. Well, the tip of the tail comes loose. Ren gets thrown off. Jean tells Pyrrha to throw her shield. It cuts off the tip of the tail. It falls on the ground. This gives it a distraction so she can follow up and throw a spear at its face. Mm-hmm. The spear lodges into its head. And Jean, Jean tells Nora to nail it. So she runs, jumps, and in more akin to a volleyball spike, slams her hammer into Pyrrha's spear, spear and shoots it out the other side of the Deathstalker. Not bad, but when compared to the source material, it's just depressing. This is a terrible adaptation of the source material fight. Yeah. But worse that adaptation of the source material fight is what's going on with team ruby and the nevermore yes. because they have no coordination at all in this fight until ruby says something to weiss i mean that makes sense that's actually how that goes in the original no for it's the, not uh, let me finish okay for the most part amongst the four of them the partners well actually just blake and yang have pretty good coordination whereas ruby and weiss do not there's mm-hmm. not co- good coordination amongst the four of them. There's good coordination between Blake and Yang in the original. Anyways, Ruby comes up with a plan. The plan involves Yang writing in the Nevermore's mouth. To distract it and draw it towards the giant cliff. And she jumps off just before it hits the cliff, so it's dazed. When it's dazed, Weiss locks it in place with an ice glyph. Mm-hmm. Blake uses the... A long-ranged ice glyph, which um, isn't really a thing we've seen her do. Yeah. It's, it's something. It's not something Ruby should, should, should know she can do. Uh-huh. Um, because Ruby has seen her use ice never in this. Mm-hmm. In the source material, she uses it on a death stalker, but she has to stab directly into the ground in front of it. So... Yeah. So then Blake adds to the combination attack by stretching the... Kusaragama. Kusaragama, the ribbon between them, between two pillars to act as a slingshot to yang Ru- holds the other side to keep it steady and then ruby pulls back the slingshot with her scythe and her and weiss locks it in place with a glyph and then they launch her and weiss puts some more glyphs in the air so she can pick up speed as she flies towards the raven no no ruby is flying perfectly towards the nevermore a giant raven's throat and then it breaks free of the eyes so weiss makes three glyphs to make ruby swoop up in this weird weird floaty fairy like style which looks bad because it looks like someone has grabbed a png and just dragged it and so then ruby hooks the nevermore's neck with her scythe and like plants her feet on the wall of the cliff and in the best animation of this episode we get a great shot of her running up a cliff and using we- her semblance weiss is assisting it with mm-hmm. glyphs so she can maintain dragging it along with her scythe up until she pulls with another force against the edge of the cliff to rip its throat out and tear its head off and she lands and it looks great we have these amazing action lands we have great movement we have like a flare from the glowing of the glyphs and the reflection off ruby's scythe as she lands and it looks fantastic it just sucks that everything that preluded this was atrocious in an exact quote from my notes for an insight into my brain the actual nevermore kill sweet as fuck everything leading up to it lame as shit yeah And then we cut to the team ceremony where people are put in their teams and they're given their names. 
So, and we first get Team Juniper. Jean, Nora, Pyrrha, and Ren. Led by Jean Arc, which is either arguably a horrible choice or a decent choice. It's impossible to know because we don't see enough of any of their interactions here. And also because Jean isn't given the chance to be attached to a leader like he is in there. Yeah, but no one source. really is in this situation. And then we get Team, Team Ruby, Juniper, which is Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang. The name of the show, mm-hmm. roll and credits. And Ruby so is made leader despite never, ever having a chance to be a leader and in fact, her one chance, her one being a leader is coming up with an extremely reckless plan that she does not know will work because she does not know her, her, her team's potentials. Mm-hmm. And then, otherwise, actively endangering other people by insisting that they fight. And by getting in the way of another trained fighter with poor communication and combat. Yeah, which doesn't necessarily mean she's bad. It also means her and wife cannot communicate, which but is it, not a good sign of being a leader there the, either. The important part here is she does nothing in that fight with the Beowulf. Exactly. Why, like, she gets in, Weiss and Ruby get in each other's way. That's equally their fault. Yeah, and then Weiss turns around and handles the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ruby should not be a leader in this. She has shown nothing. She has done nothing to deserve it. There's a little another scene here with Shion, but it doesn't actually tell us anything. Um, And then we go to the outros. Nope. What? Then... Then, as we're looking at Team Ruby on the stage, the camera pans over to Weiss and kind of focuses on her neck where we see like some dark, like stereotypical, someone has evil magic curse stuff going on as the general consensus of the style. Yeah, it's a Sasuke. Black veins. It's the Sasuke curse mark on her yeah. neck. Or I've used dark magic. Yeah. Or I've and then bathed we, in a pool of grim and blood. Then we cut, and then we cut to the end theme, which is very generic and it's, very boring. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the animation here is just meh. the character sigils and then... Like color, some pulsing purple lines. And then color-filled versions of the characters standing in a wasteland. Uh, a wasteland, yeah. And that's the entirety of the first two episodes of Ruby Ice Queendom. Justice, do you want to get into it first or do you want me to? I can if you want since you went first last time. Sure. Um, Can I just lead with the fact that this is why our podcast exists? No, no, you cannot, because if you're handing it over to me, I'm leading with the fact that this is why our podcast exists. Okay, go ahead. Why does our podcast exist? So, if you remember from the very top of this episode, and we told you- every one of our episodes. Mm-hmm, that we review the first two episodes of a show, because sometimes shows just need a second shot, because the first episode's bad, right? But also, what's not spoken there explicitly is that sometimes the first episode is great. Golden, even. But the second episode is horrible. Garbage. And honestly, I'm personally more okay with accidentally missing a good show. Yeah. Because I watched the first episode and was like, oh, this is bad. Because you know what? People will tell me later if a show is good, generally. Yeah. I will hear something about it. But watching a show... Started being like, this is fu- this is great. And getting excited for the next episode just to be let down is fucking horrible. And it sucks. Especially if you're watching the show as it airs. Like, if you're watching In Between Time and you're like, man, that first episode was so great. And you are looking forward to the next one. Or you're hyping up other people about it. like mm-hmm. Because then you look like an asshole. Or maybe that was the thing getting you through the fucking week and you get there. And it doesn't do anything. It doesn't make your week better. Like, what do you do from there? Like, like, fuck, right? And I realize that's not the end of the world, but sometimes, sometimes, it could feel like it. Like, sometimes, it's just a horrible fucking thing to stumble into. So, I'm gonna break our kayfabe a little bit. We've seen more than the first two episodes of this series now. Yes. Um, We are just reviewing the first two episodes, but... And I think this really matters. They cram the entirety of the first season of Ruby 
into roughly two and a half episodes. Yes, uh, that's actually a point that even watching these two episodes, I was going to make. Mm-hmm. That in the first episode, it felt a bit rushed to introduce characters. But the thing is, though, it didn't feel too rushed because, like, the first episode of Ruby is like fifteen minutes, maybe. Yeah. And then, like, the next two, the the Beacon ones, I think the next one's probably like ten minutes, and the next one's maybe again like another 10, 12 you know, maybe. I'm just gonna see how long it takes to get out of the test. Yeah. Um, gonna go to Google. I'm gonna go to go to YouTube. And... But in like the first episode, we get. Roughly, I would say, maybe just a little less runtime than what it takes to meet all these characters in the original run. Yeah, it's slightly different. Yeah, it feels a bit more rushed. We've put them all on the airship and we're meeting them at different times. But there's nothing wrong with that. And we get that into the second episode. That's when we really start meeting people, right? But that's fine. It works. Because, well, so, yeah, Ruby fighting Roman is basically the first episode, right? We also get Weiss's trailer and Blake's trailer, because the show, Ruby, had character trailers which explained or presented the four main girls. So these two episodes in roughly... 42, 45 minutes of runtime. Okay. Cover eight episodes of the original series, which total in at about an hour and 10 minutes of runtime. So we're losing a half hour of stuff. And most of that half hour stuff we're losing is dope ass fight scenes mm-hmm. and like character building. And that's not even taking into account the fact that they also crammed the trailers in here. Yeah. Like, which I think both trailers are like four minutes ish. Yeah. So that's, that's being generous on like the low side of them. So that's another eight minutes. So that's like 118 minutes actually of original content to 48 minutes of this. I'd say 45 minutes. This 45 point. minutes of this, yeah. yeah. About 22 and a half minutes each. Yeah. And so literally half the runtime, less than mm-hmm. half the runtime. Yeah. And honestly, the first episode feels fine. The fir- Actually, the first episode and a half, this feels fine. Yeah. And in fact, it makes more sense to me to, to, to immediately do this test because, rather than in the original where they stay overnight in the cafeteria. Yeah. It makes more sense to do this test before actually welcoming them into Beacon. Yeah. One, their luggage is already packed. You don't have to fucking worry about repacking it. You don't have to worry about people lollygagging, struggling, or any of that. Mm Mm-hmm. But the exam itself is half of this one episode. And in the original, it itself is three? Two, three? Uh, I just had it pulled up. In the original series, this first test runs one, two, three, four, five episodes... For a total of almost 35 minutes. Yeah. So in about 12 minutes, it's 35 minutes worth of content. Now, don't get me wrong. The first episode about the test does have them, does do a bit more of the introductory stuff. But the thing is, yeah, sure. If you want, we can cut out stuff with other people's landing strategies. We can cut out the bits with John and Pierre off on their own. Nor and Ren off on their own. Because arguably, so, if our character were following his wife, especially in the beginning, these characters aren't important to her. She does not care. Well, so one of the important things, though, is Pira unlocking John's aura happens in the test before the Deathstalker. Yes, because the man does not have his aura unlocked and would die. And on top of that, other important things we get, and I, I know you say we can cut landing strategies, but I don't think we can. I was saying we could cut people's landing strategies that aren't important twice. I think we should see Team Ruby's at least. Because the landing strategies are... They're stylistic ag- representations are- of how these people fight, how they move, how they think. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's literally how they think on their feet. What I was saying is I could see us cutting... All- Honestly, we could cut all of Team Juniper. Except Pyrrha. Except Pyrrha because Weiss cares about what Pyrrha thinks. Pyrrha is a focus for Weiss. Well, also because Jean interacts directly with Pyrrha and Jean's landing is directly yeah. affected by Pyrrha. Yeah, so we can have Jean and Weiss. We don't, need, we don't really need Nora and Rin, which is fine that we just have them there. Also, yeah, no. I, but like, like you're saying, I think episode two is definitively a letdown in 
in so many ways and forms. And, like, it's because... It feels like they rushed it. It feels like they want to get to their original content. Which like, starts on episode four. Yeah. Because... Ice Queendom has... It's, it's a, it has its own original story. It's like... What it is, is I assume, obviously, they have a run order. They have so many episodes that they have. I think it's like 12. I actually think I know this. I think it's 12 episodes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they want to get to their own content. But they need the framework. They need the framework or the characters don't work. Look, the overall plot of the show is basically that they're going to have to go into Weiss's mind to solve some shit. And apparently it only really works well with friends. If you don't establish that they're even on a friendly term or they have grounds that they can become friends with, what's the... What the yeah. fuck are you doing? Yep. It's character assassination. Episode two is a character assassination of all eight of the main characters. They, that, m- maybe not Pyrrha. Pyrrha doesn't actually uh, get assassinated. Six people. Neither does Rin. Good point. Because Rin is stoic and doesn't say much. And let's see. In this, he the, deadpanly talks to Nora about how she's hyper. That matches his character. Actually, Rin in this does the exact th- same things he does mm-hmm. in his... Because even he, his contribution he, to the fight He is jumps the on same. the tail, shoots it, gets thrown off, hits the wall, falls down. And then in his fight, things change outside of his circumstance. But Rin does everything the same. Yep. So yeah, Ren and Pyrrha We don't, just don't get to see him be a badass, Ren which makes Pyrrha, sense. Ren and Pyrrha don't get character assassinated, but Jean, Nora, Ruby, Blake, Yang, and even Weiss, the main character, suffer major detriment to their character because the show doesn't want to give time to let it breathe. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to rank it by characters by how much they their characters got fucked over. Pyrrha, Ren, not at all. Mm-hmm. Nora's probably the next one. Actually, I'll, I'll organize it. So Ren... Not at all. Pierre, actually, a tiny bit. Um, we don't really get any of her personality, which works in this circumstance because why she's projecting all kinds of shit onto her. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But if you want to focus on Pierre as a character, you need to establish her personality, which you don't do at all. She's just a, a girl who is apparently good at fighting, mm-hmm. which we learned very early on in these episodes. She's she's more than that, obviously. Then I would say Nora, because she does tell this bubbly thing, we just don't get as much of it. And then I would say. I think I would say Blake next, it, then Jean. It gets really hard, but like Ru- because as far as it goes, Blake's get Blake gets toned down a bit, but not much. She's mostly still the same character because her early interactions are very antagonistic with Weiss, mm-hmm. and they still are in this. Well, Ruby, and in fact, Blake's given more credit here because she comes up with the plan to run the fuck away. Ruby, Weiss, and Jean suffer the most, though. Yes. And it's not even close. Yeah. Ruby and Jean... It, it goes Yang after Blake, and then it's Jean, Weiss, and Ruby gets absolutely fucked over. Because Ruby and Jean aren't given any chance to be leaders here. Mm-hmm. They they lose all of that. Like, Jean not being... Like, Jean becoming a leader is a bit of a shock in the first series, because he's not as skilled as his teammates, he's not yeah. as... But he, he has some good calls, and you can, you can back up why he is. You're just left wondering, like, well, his partner is apparently, like, a really good fucking fighter and a champion and that's your reason to not be like well that's why you shouldn't have that guy but he makes good calls there are reasons to put him in that position and like ruby ruby spends this entire test demonstrating why she can be a leader i think what it really boils down to is the second episode just doesn't care about developing the characters yeah in significant ways and that doesn't lead me to have faith in the rest of the series at all. And I think with that, we can say we don't recommend... Yeah, definitely not. Ruby Ice Queendom going forward. Like, the first episode really good, the second episode bad. It's mm-hmm. why the podcast exists, and it's why you should catch us on our next flight. Which will be something. But until then, if you want to contact us, you can email us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. You can tweet us at copilotsreview. Or you can go to our website, copilotsreview.simplecast.com, where you can find a link to both of those. Our Discord, where you can talk about such things as this or harass us with at messages, which is rude. Please don't do that. Harass us. Come bring it. (laughs) You can check out our YouTube, which is extremely out of date, or our Patreon. But until then, 
Thank you guys for joining us, and please fly again soon.